0: Welcome to Pondering AI. I'm your host, Kimberly Nebula, and I want to thank you for joining us as we continue to ponder the realities of AI with a diverse group of innovators, advocates, and doers. Today, I'm so pleased to be joined by Ganesh Kasari. As the founder, CEO, and chief data scientist for Graminer and now Innovation Titan, Ganesh helps organizations adopt analytics and AI mindfully. We will be differentiating fact from fiction in AI with a specific focus on the state of adoption and readiness in the enterprise today. Welcome, Ganesh.
1: Thanks, Kimberly. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. So we're going to start as we tend to do at the beginning. Can you share a brief overview of your career as a tech entrepreneur and what drew you initially into the wide and sometimes wild world of data science?
1: (laughs) So I have about 20 years of experience in solving organizational challenges with technology. The early part of my career was using other aspects of technology to solve challenges. And then around 2010, 11 is when I stumbled upon the world of data analytics. At that time, it was a little early on because we had to do a lot of education on what we really mean by data visualization, what is machine learning for the enterprise audience. So that's when we co-founded the the firm Gramner with some of my friends I used to work earlier with, and over the last ten years, as you mentioned, it's been a wild ride, and <laughs> it's been it's been great because the industry started noticing data analytics, saw the potential, and has been uh, adopting it increasingly. And through this period, about my career path, I have played a variety of roles, uh, setting up our data analytics practice, setting up our information design center of excellence, starting our AI and story labs for innovation, and currently I lead our advisory and consulting practice. So a little bit of uh, uh, different areas, a little bit of everything, but all in the service of transforming decisions with data, storytelling, analytics, and change management. Apart from my stint at Gramner and uh, now Innovation Titan as well, I I'm passionate about teaching and writing. I uh, have spoken at various forums, TEDx, and other industry events. I uh, currently teach at NJIT Business School. I teach business analytics as an adjunct professor. And uh, I also write for Forbes and Entrepreneur on AI. So that's me, Kimberly.
0: Excellent. Who better to talk about all of the stories that are swirling around AI then? So... There's no paucity of narratives and many interesting narratives that are developing today around artificial intelligence or AI. What are you finding most intriguing? And are there any that you think are perhaps a bit insidious in the sense of they're enticing, but may ultimately be harmful?
1: I think we are seeing huge hype today. Uh, That's unmissable. If the last five years I was excited about AI, today I'm a little worried too because a lot of other people are too excited. (laughs) If I look at the the typical Gartner hype cycle, uh, I'm I'm sure many of the audience would be familiar. So there are different stages that innovations typically go through. So you have the the initial research or the, the phase where you have innovation trigger happens through research and then over period over a period of time there is some growth and then it hits a peak which is where the hype is really high more than it, it is warranted and then reality sets in and then people get dissolution and that's what gartner causes the trough of uh, disillusionment, and people don't value it uh, and they discount it even beyond the value that it is clearly delivering. And then over time, people, there are people who come back to it. And then there is a slope of enlightenment. And then eventually there is a plateau of productivity where there is, it's almost a given and people start building on top of that. So if you look at that hype cycle today with AI and particularly generative AI, we are at the peak of of hype where clearly a lot of the attention is unwarranted. There is potential, no doubt, but a lot of the attention is unwarranted. And which also means that we are going to see disillusionment in this space very soon. We should be prepared for it and for the subsequent recovery.
0: Yeah, I've I've taken to saying that in a lot of cases, I think AI at large today is both overhyped and undervalued hmm. in that when we're talking about things like the you know GPTs of the world, chat GPT, whatever it is, all those. There's this sense that it's going to do anything and everything, which makes me very concerned that people don't really understand how it works or the actual effort to make that work, particularly in a business or social context. And we're going to dig into that. And on the other side, it's undervalued because we are so enamored with the bright and shiny, we are missing the opportunity to deploy it in possibly what might seem like mundane and boring ways that drive really true value. And yeah,
1: that's so uh, very well put. Uh, and, and if you come to think of it, this is not the first time that right? we have seen several technology innovations in our lifetime. If we look at one of the most popular ones, which all of us would remember is the, the dot com boom bust cycle. <laughs> we ha- We went through almost something very similar. Right if you look at the the timeline 70s 80s is when the research phase happened and 90s early 90s was the growth phase where people started seeing okay the internet can do something it's beyond government beyond educational institutions mm-hmm. and there were companies which were starting uh, slowly coming in and built around it and late 90s is where uh, the the uh, the madness set in the hype phase there was an internet gold rush and 2000 after the the dot com bust uh, there was a despair phase or the, the trough of disillusionment. And then mm-hmm. 2000, uh, late 2000 onwards or 2001 onwards, there was a recovery phase. Now we almost consider it a given. And there's, there have been a lot of fascinating innovations on top of internet today. And that has become a very strong backbone. So similar to that, I think chat GPT generative AI broadly, I think that has a lot of potential. And uh, like you mentioned, undervalued, we will understand that even better. And then perhaps some of this, the the hype will go away.
0: Mm-hmm. And do you think we're at risk right now because there is so much focus on that particular technology, that particular instantiation, that folks just lose track of all the other ways that we could deploy things that are under the AI umbrella, machine learning, deep learning, et cetera, oh, et cetera? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, that, that's true. So uh, there are so many, apart from chat GPT, there are so many GPTs or a uh, chat something else that there is a lot more potential with other types of analytics, with other types of AI. Suddenly people have stopped talking as much about computer vision until a few years back. I think we saw this in news processing videos and pictures while there's still work is happening, but people are obsessed with this. And the bigger challenge I see is people are forgetting the value of simpler descriptive diagnostic analytics, which Mm -hmm. still even today, I see that it delivers uh, almost a majority of the value in enterprises. If you look at it roughly, we can't put exact percentage, but roughly majority, about 60, 70% still comes from simple uh, descriptive diagnostic analytics. Only a minority comes from advanced analytics. It has its own place. But are we forgetting... The the majority um, because of the recent hype. That's a question we need to think about.
0: It, it, how would you respond if someone says, "Yeah, that may be true, Ganes, but that's really because organizations are just behind. They're not embracing the new, and you know it's the nature of bureaucracies. And so we need new business models and, and new approaches, and and that that's why those older approaches or those non-prescriptive, predictive types of applications are not seen the light of day in the way that the marketing or the uh, media might indicate they are.
1: Yeah, I think there are two extremes, right? I've seen organizations that have been doing machine learning for a while. Even there, if you look at the need for simple BI, business intelligence Mm -hmm. reporting, they get a lot of value from that even today, despite running a lot of these machine learning projects. So that, that's where I see even the forward-looking organizations, despite having uh, embraced advanced analytics, they still see value. And the other part, I think your question was also hinting at, are all organizations able to look at AI and, and embrace advanced analytics, which is a challenge as well. There is clearly There are clearly those low-hanging fruits which advanced analytics can can help solve uh, with unstructured data. That many organizations have not tapped into. A simple example is text analytics. Uh, There's so much of value that you can get by looking at your customer conversations, the chat histories and and so on, or voice of customer feedback. But there are one class of organizations still looking at those numerical data and ignoring all of that easily accessible, low-hanging fruits. So we need to work on both ends.
0: Yeah. And how much in your estimation, in the work you've done both broadly and and with organizations, of what people are calling AI today is really AI. And does having precise definitions of this matter when we're talking about when and where to deploy these technologies?
1: Yeah. So the moment people use AI, I look at the audience and then I kind of tune into their definition of AI. (laughs) I don't ask anymore. Uh, In the industry, if you look at articles, you look at uh, general conversations when people say AI, today the filter I apply is analytics could be Mm -hmm. simple analysis on Excel. Uh, They mean that complete umbrella. So that's what they really mean by AI. Whereas someone who is really in the analytics, for example, if it's a chief analytics officer, if they are talking about AI, then perhaps they really mean machine learning or, or deep learning or the the, uh, the advanced analytics in the truest sense so that's what mm-hmm. they mean by ai so we need to tune into the audience and what they really mean by it otherwise it's used very often today as an umbrella term okay
0: and in your experience also then how accurate are whether we're talking about public or private organizations how accurate are leaders perceptions of ai however they might use the term and are there expectations for The level of effort and the amount of return they can get and how fast that can happen, realistic?
1: I see leaders at two extremes here. Mm -hmm. There are those. Let's talk about the data and expectations on what data is needed. There are leaders who assume that AI can, can do everything and it can even create its own data. So that's, that's one side. You don't need data. AI can take care of everything. Synthetic the, everything. <laughs> no, not even talking about synthetic. It's just <laughs> like you can magically create data. AI is like um, omniscient. It can do anything. So mm-hmm. uh, that bl- blind faith. So that's one thing. One extreme. The other extreme is where leaders think that uh, they understand that there is good volume of data needed to train algorithms. And they wait too longer they wait for too much of data to be collected or maybe a data warehouse hmm. or a full uh, data lake to be created they don't start analytics or advanced analytics until then so that way the expectations there are uh, they are at the, uh, either extreme so it i think it needs education same thing if i take one more example of extremes roi there are those leaders who expect ai to deliver like tomorrow uh, the moment you you set it up, it should transform decisions and it should be able to keep up pace with the audience. Uh, that's a little unrealistic in terms of ROI uh, in a very, very short term. At the same time, the other extreme is that there are leaders who don't demand enough, that who don't set and demand from the teams that they've invested a few million dollars. Uh, there has to be a measurement of the value generated by the initiative and there has to be some tracking and and targets set. If you don't have that, that again could lead to disillusionment. So that way I, I see that whether it is with data, ROI, or in terms of how you execute AI engagements, people are at the extremes and bringing them to the center calls for education. Otherwise, they will burn their fingers, they'll do multiple projects, see failures, and only then they'll come, which can be avoided with education.
0: And when you say education, what are we really talking about? Are we talking about basic numerical literacy, statistical literacy? I know that that's not the gamut of it. So when you say education, what does that look like? And and for organizations and individuals, what are the different aspects we need to be addressing? Yeah. I'm talking about
1: uh, data literacy or data fluency, the ability to understand how data can help an organization. Uh, ability to communicate with data just like uh, a language literacy, ability to read, uh, communicate with that freely across different stakeholders within an organization. That level of understanding that could be reading tables, could be reading basic charts. And when you have some insights, being able to interpret simple analysis insights, if you're able to interpret that and talk about the business implications of that. So Mm -hmm. that is what I mean. And from a leadership standpoint people who are making the the decisions on funding projects understanding what is the potential how do you go about picking those areas where you implement AI or for that matter any of the data analytics technology so education on those aspects that this is the potential possibilities and limitations of what we can get from AI and what is the time frame what kind of skills we need the the team needed to to deliver that, and what interventions are needed from an end-user standpoint. So understanding of all of this, this doesn't call for knowing models. It doesn't call for learning about design. But application of technology in an enterprise context, uh, that's what we mean by data literacy, ability to communicate with that.
0: Mm -hmm. And what skills or roles, put that in whatever frame you'd like, are most often... Overlooked or underemphasized in organizations that are looking to extend, expand, or even start their data science and AI programs?
1: I think the role of data translator is still underemphasized. Organizations, uh, people have been talking about it for a while, but still, I see uh, in my experience consulting, many organizations still hire only for data scientists, data mm-hmm. engineers, or information designers. So these are the roles people typically hire for, but someone who comes uh, the the data translator for those who are not familiar is a role that helps translate the business problem uh, into the right questions and then translate those business questions into data questions. Uh, come up with an approach using data and analytics to solve that, and then translate the solutions back into a format that users can understand and act upon, So, which also involves change management, adoption, driving data literacy we just spoke about. So all of these are uh, so th- the data translated as a translation back and forth, uh, is a strong business advocate, and typically comes from the business or the user side of things, So this role I I still see is underemphasized. I think three, four years back, McKinsey published a report where they said uh, data translators is going to be the the hottest role of the next decade. (laughs) So people talked about it for a while, but now I think there are some organizations who have been hiring for it, but many still ignore that role.
0: Is this a evolution of what we used to call the business analyst or a data analyst role? How do you differentiate those or do you?
1: Yeah, so it's an evolution of that. In a typical technology space, a business analyst w- would play that a very similar role. Whereas mm-hmm. in the data and analytics space, this also calls for understanding of these additional disciplines, which is data analytics, information design, and also a bit of change management because this technology, this there is so much of resistance compared to technology projects today. That there is so much of change management involved. So all of these aspects additionally get added to a data translator skill set in addition to the business analysis.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned there's a lot of resistance and, you know, going back to this idea of narratives and public narratives mm-hmm. that are being driven. And we just spoke to Dr. Christina uh, Kohlcloth as well about this idea that, Analytics and AI are just going to make your world better, right? You're not going to have to do all the work that you don't want to do, or you know, this this work that is perhaps someone else may view as as drudgery. And there is this bit of a narrative around you should be embracing this because, yes, it might make some aspect of your job obsolete, but isn't that great because you didn't like doing (laughs) it anyway, right? Is that an aspect of it, you know, back in the day, you and I met years and years ago, I think at a data conference, and we used to laugh about this idea where we were talking about data management and folks would say, the actual analysts doing, creating analytic models, and back then we weren't even necessarily talking about AI at all, would say, you know, I really hate all the time I have to spend munging data. And we'd say, okay, we're going to set up this different role, a different process, these pipelines, so you don't have to do that. And they would fight us tooth and nail, right? even though That is what they absolutely said they didn't want to do. But ultimately, that is what they were being rewarded and recognized for. So there was this weird dichotomy. Is that part of the issue with resistance today? And then where are you seeing or what is causing resistance, particularly with more advanced analytics solutions? Yeah, Uh,
1: Resistance at... uh kinds of audience. I think we're mm-hmm. talking about the people who get involved in implementing these solutions like the data engineers, the technology team, resistance mm-hmm. to even embracing these. Earlier we were talking only about resistance from the end users. Yeah. But today we are clearly seeing that AI is eating into a lot of these activities of data scientists, data engineers, and a lot of Mm -hmm. technology roles. That's the reality. So there is resistance, not just... uh, We'll talk about resistance from from both this audience. Firstly, from the end users, there is resistance because of two main reasons. One, uh, a lack of awareness as as to what could happen. So uh, would it completely automate away my job for a person sitting in the call center? And if there's some AI tool which is going to help them answer calls better, uh, provide real-time analytics on what the the customer is thinking about. So when we talk about that audience, if they don't understand the AI capability or what it is all about, there is resistance that it might automate away their job. So, uh, or there is a fear of the unknown. So that's the first part. And the second challenge I've seen in organizations is there is a need for reskilling. Yes, you get your job, you get to hold your job, but you have to evolve and do a f- few additional tasks. There's a change in the skill mix. That uh, change also people hate. So mm-hmm. there is a uh, the moving away from the familiar, comfortable tasks. So uh, that calls for change management. The first one calls for education, could be data literacy and telling them this is what changing and this is what AI means, and this is what analytics means. Whereas the second one is a change in skill mix, change in responsibilities, which needs to come in from the leadership, organizational, the the career path and design that this is why we need it. The organization has to, it's again, no, no no longer a question of innovation, but survival. For organizations to be able to stay competitive, they need to embrace certain technology, certain solutions. And for that, the people have to upskill and then change their job mix. So those are the two challenges and likely solutions. Whereas when it comes to the, the technology team, uh, a little similar where the second part in terms of change in skills is what you were hinting at that. Yes, we've always been doing it. We are really good at it. But if if AI is coming and taking that part of it, then what do I learn and should I do that? So. There, again, I see a similar aspect playing there, Kimberly. Mm-hmm.
0: That issue of technologists resisting technology is not one that gets raised very often. No. So that's that's interesting. I think that's important and a conversation that needs to happen. For the end users, to be fair, a lot of t- times the way that these things are communicated is in such a way that it's couched as you need to adjust so that you can work sort of around the machine as opposed yeah. to we are bringing a machine to you to facilitate your work? Are we doing enough to make sure that we are developing systems that work for the humans as opposed to adjusting human work so that it's amenable to the machine?
1: I think it's a little bit of both. There are cases where you completely redesign, for example, and financial versus a traditional bank. Uh, That's an example, a case study in, in Harvard. They talked about how and Financial was able to, um, they started late. They didn't have the challenge of legacy and process of job been running for decades. They were able to come up with a completely new process, which is most efficient for customer service in the financial space. Whereas mm-hmm. organizations like uh, say JP Morgan or Chase, they have a legacy. They they can't completely uh, rewire the systems. So you'll have to look at the legacy of the organization how much of it is possible if possible then redesigning is going to bring in a lot more efficiency but is going to be very disruptive so that's one aspect. And the uh, other part of it is just in terms of uh, upskilling the people, given that this disruption is happening or if there is a change or, or displacement, how do you get them to do these additional incremental set of tasks? And 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 it's fascinating that you, you didn't mention that uh, we didn't hear much about technology roles getting displaced. We are seeing that in the last couple of years uh, until if, if I look at three, four years back, Mostly with technology teams, the conversation was: there's a lot of resistance from users. Uh, this is so beneficial. <laughs> I've had conversations with data scientists. So why don't they see the benefit? But today, when you have, for example, GitHub Copilot, or you have uh, many of these other like uh, design acceleration tools which use AI with g- prompts, you can create some of those dashboard designs. So now the uh, the narrative is shifting inward. Uh, if this is so powerful, then <laughs> what about why can't we embrace it? And what does it mean for some? Of our technology roles, I think that that conversation is shaping up, and and we'll hear more of it.
0: I wonder if that'll result in greater empathy for, <laughs> you know, broadly for users, for those impacted, yeah. or that are these systems are being used for and or against. But it's interesting that it it had to come home to roost in our own. <laughs> right in a, in that,
1: that, room, that's true area. yeah that's true it's, it's, it's a it's, it's a cycle right it comes back always so uh so that we need to see and, and uh, one thing i no longer agree i used to peddle the same thing earlier the, the same message which is uh the drudgery is get, getting automated away you can spend time on creative tasks mm-hmm. i don't agree with it anymore at least looking at i've changed my position looking at the kind of tasks that ai is getting good at which are a lot of these creative tasks it is is really good at. I've been using some of these generative AI tools for the last couple of months for, for ideation, bouncing off ideas. If I'm running workshops, how what should be the narrator? What should be the outline? I've been mm-hmm. using it for brainstorming, which is completely un- unimaginable, right? I, I wouldn't have thought about it six months back. I used to do it with people earlier. So uh, I don't think just the drudgery is getting automated away. A lot of juicy creative work is also getting automated away, which calls for thinking on what kind of skills uh, are we going to need? Uh, perhaps the critical thinking skills, review, and uh, still that empathy and human element. There are still skills, uh, but the mix of skills that we thought earlier, which will be important. I think there's a a big change. And as we see the AI capability shape up, we'll have to see what really stays relevant for us.
0: Yeah, this may also come down to us thinking about what it means for humans to find work meaningful. That was a terrible Mm -hmm. alliteration there. In that there may be aspects of things that we could automate or augment that we fundamentally decide not to. Because by virtue of doing so, we create organizations or environments or workplaces that are not engaging, are not fulfilling, do not allow us to think and flex our creative and mental or physical muscles in a way that actually drives human satisfaction.
1: I doubted whether organizational leaders would agree with that because if it comes down to economic mm-hmm. profit motive, yeah, yes, they uh, they will probably create alternate avenues than, than messing with their bottom line. <laughs> so I'm not so sure about that.
0: Oh yes, no, that that might have been a a general museum in my my rosy rosy <laughs> sky over here.
1: <laughs> no, we hope. Yeah, we hope that there are uh, enough activities, but again. <laughs> we'll have to say that we'll have to watch and see how things evolve. But uh, I I still strongly believe that there will be new roles and new uh, skill mixes which evolve, which Mm -hmm. we will find fulfilling as we've always uh, done in the last 18 90 years. That gives me hope that uh, even if some of these creative tasks, which we find attractive or automated away, there are going to be other adjacent areas, new roles, which we can't think of today which will emerge, Um, just going back to the same example of internet, uh, the role of web designers or SEO experts, uh, so uh, search engine optimization. So some of these are roles we couldn't have imagined 30 years back. So on on a similar note, there will be several other uh, roles which call for working on top of the world that AI is creating, which needs other very, very different uh, skill sets. Mm -hmm.
0: We had an opportunity to talk to Roger Spitz last year, and he talked about the future of decision-making and thinking differently and developing and honing skills for folks to think and make decisions and act in the face of change and uncertainty. You've also said that with analytics writ large, including AI, there may be A change or there's an evolution to decision-making in an organizational context. Can you talk a little bit about what you sort of project happening and how organizations, leaders, employees need to be thinking about that now? Yeah, I think the
1: uh, discipline of decision intelligence and and decision-making is is not getting enough attention today. Mm -hmm. But with all the increasing spend in not just AI, but other technology, cloud and uh, all of the other technology, there is going to be a huge emphasis on how it is helping organizations make better decisions and leading to top-line growth or bottom-line growth. So the ROI is becoming all the more important. I, I hear this almost in all of my conversations with clients today. That uh, Compared to three years back today, they are clearly demanding and they are talking about ROI, which is, which is a great news. So uh, what that also is related to is how are we transforming decision-making? So for for doing that, we need not just analytics, but we also need disciplines of which tackle change, right? And then there are other uh, completely new areas which we need to start paying attention to, which is behavioral science psychology, which also talks about how humans work within an organization, how groups of humans collaborate. So a combination of all these things, which is where I'm seeing that the, uh, many of these new skill sets blending into AI, uh, whether it is in terms of understanding consumer behavior or it is in terms of uh, driving adoption within an organization or quantifying the ROI by running experiments. All of these are very different sets. Uh, Someone who comes from a traditional data and analytics background just won't be able to uh, do these. So you need uh, a combination of skills. That is what I think is becoming important and will be important in the future.
0: It's interesting too, because this topic of decision intelligence, I just had the opportunity to run a really fun workshop, uh, kind of roundtable discussion. It was a somewhat of a hybrid of a workshop a uh, roundtable, but on, on decision intelligence. And one of the things I'm seeing from technology companies, this is this thought that decision intelligence is essentially what I said is AI plus BI. So it's automating hmm. analytics or automating BI. And I, I think that's not the right frame. I understand why Automated analytics or automated BI is important and valuable. But when we talk decision intelligence, I would much rather or suggest that folks think about this as insight plus behavior. And, right, it's really thinking through what is it that we are trying to achieve? What's the outcome starting there? What are the thresholds or the reasons why I would make a decision or take an action based on A&B? And and deciding some of those things before before we create a model, before we do that. And then why or why not will someone engage or not engage properly, if at mm-hmm. all, with that system? And where will it go wrong despite our best intentions? Is that a fair?
1: Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, if we break it down, decision intelligence, there are three disciplines. Mm-hmm. First is cognitive science, understanding the, the target audience, understanding the decision makers and human behavior. That's the first part of it. Second is where once you have that understanding, data analytics comes in and then uh, you collect the data, you analyze, you identify insights. And the third element is organizational intelligence, which tackles the change management part of it. How do you institutionalize a solution within an organization and scale it up? So you need all these three, cognitive science, data analytics, and organizational intelligence to come together for for scaling decisions in an organization, which ties back to what you were mentioning uh, Kimberly. Mm
0: -hmm. And what is your counsel for organizations and leaders in particular who still feel this need for speed and say, wow, this feels like a process, right? And it is a process and it takes some time. What is your response to that? And and why is it important to take that time?
1: Yeah, so... There's this, this, this have had this conversation with some leaders. I, I totally agree that, yeah, all of this feels like a lot of work, um yes, because it is. And it, yeah, yeah. why can't we uh, spend more on data analytics? And then, f- for example, I, I I'll give you this interesting um, story where we're talking to the leader of a manufacturing firm. And this person, he said, uh, we want to use AI for optimizing our yield. So and then when I looked at, the the team, and I spoke to the team to understand where they are even before uh, uh, suggesting the solution, I understood that they were using a lot of paper and pen. They had uh, spreadsheets at best. They did not have anything close (laughs) to a warehouse. And in this scenario, if you go with uh, not just AI, even some form of advanced analytics could could be even statistics or machine learning, so some simpler forms, uh, you would end up with great insights on data which no one believes so, this, so I, I, in this conversation, I asked the leader that, let us say, in your organization tomorrow, we build this solution, and you come up with a, a fabulous insight which you your team did not know. And this calls for a major change in your production process. Would you implement it? So he thought about it for a while, and then he said, no, I... Would hesitate. So then I I probed further. Why would you hesitate? And he said, Yeah, maybe I know that at times the team does a lot of back and forth on the on the numbers. So perhaps uh, I would go back and ask the team to check the numbers to see if it is right. So then I said, why? Probing further. And then finally, he said, I don't trust the data. Mm -hmm. I said, there you go. So you need data quality before you double down on analytics and and AI. So if you don't focus on the foundation, the data engineering, data quality, and then you you step up on analytics, you end up when I've published a two by two based on this conversation where you have quality of data low high mm-hmm. analytics low high if you have high analytics on low quality data you end up in a zone which uh, mm-hmm. which i call uh, the zone of disillusionment where you Come up with something, you don't make the decision. The technology team is frustrated that they put it, they, they pour their hearts into creating something. No one believes, uh, no, no one uses the solution. And at the same time, the executives, they've spent money on it, they're not getting the bang for the buck. So that is a zone you need to stay away from. So, which, which uh, explains why you need to take some of that time, build the foundation, and then uh, scale it up as you go.
0: <laughs> and when we talk about just communicating the value of of taking that time in the process or even just the value of analytics and AI in particular, both to incent interest and to help organizations figure out when and where to invest and when not to invest. Uh, Are there some key nuggets that you provide to folks to guide that conversation? Yeah,
1: I think uh, picking the impactful initiatives, we've created a framework around that Uh, how you can systematically identify impactful initiatives. And and this can be done by every organization where uh, you start with the business goals, the business priority, don't go with what's interesting, but go with what's strategic and important Mm -hmm. enough for the business. Uh, So in early conversations, we don't, when I'm running these workshops, I I don't talk about data or technology. I don't introduce technology at all. Talk about the pain points of the users. Start with that and identify what is it on the organization's uh, strategy this year? What are the outcomes they want to enable? How do you identify? What are those challenges, business initiatives, which will get them there? And, and then for those initiatives, then you find out what technology intervention is needed, whether you need data analytics or some other technology intervention is good. If it is data analytics, then what is the level needed? So all of that comes after that. So starting with the, the business priorities and then quantifying the business impact, what is the likely top line or bottom line impact? And then the third and final element is feasibility. Do we have the technology? Do we have the the people or the tools? And third, uh, uh, will we be able to manage the change? Some changes could be really big that the feasibility is low. So if you have these three elements, alignment with strategy, number two is quantifying the business impact, and third, the feasibility from a technology and change management. This will help you place the initiatives and prioritize. You can build a roadmap based on that
0: technologists everywhere who come with this sort of tech determinism or tech first approach are going to be uh, shaking their their fists. But it just reinforces the point that even something as exciting as AI, let's just define that how you will, Mm -hmm. is still a means to an end. And the end is business action, business outcome.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Very true.
0: So you do a lot of work across industries and have the opportunity to not only see what is being sold and told in the public sphere, but what is really happening on the ground in organizations where the work is happening or not, as the case may be. As you look forward over the next couple of years, what do you expect to see? And what advice would you give organizations and individuals to start to engage now?
1: Yeah. Uh, Two points. One, I would advocate strongly a focus on enterprise value and ROI. We are not seeing it enough. And um, for for doing that, you always start with outcomes, pick the metrics, and then define how the initiative is likely to lead to that, make that connection, attribution, and then quantify that uh, by by tracking over time. So that uh, is the most important recommendation. And number two is Rethink the skill set of your teams, particularly with the advances in technology, advances in AI, what skill sets you need. And it's not just the technology skill sets, but also relook at we talked about behavioral science and we talked about design and for storytelling, which can be a very powerful uh, way to translate those insights uh, into actionable uh, recommendations bring in storytellers, data storytellers. So looking at the mix of skills needed in our team, be conscious about that. You don't need just those three or four technical skill sets, um, not just that anymore. So those would be my recommendations, Kimberly.
0: And then I just can't help, but I have to ask another question. You mentioned storytelling and we started the conversation talking about narratives around AI. When we talk about telling data stories or storytelling, folks may in some cases think this is really about coercion or changing someone's mind or nudging them, Um, but I don't think that is the intention. So what does good storytelling look like and what should storytelling never be about?
1: Uh, so there is the propaganda type of storytelling. Um, when yeah. you have data visualization or infographics, it all depends on the insight that you want to convey. And if that's, that has an ulterior motive and you're just hiding all the other data, all the other supporting facts and just driving users towards that, you can very well mislead with data and with stories. Um, mm-hmm. it ultimately, depends on what is the intent and what data you're, you're trying to present. Data storytelling in its truest sense is about helping users access the insights and make some decisions using that to solve some business challenges. That's what data storytelling is about. So whether it is a AI model or it is a, a insight from a pivot table in an Excel, the user really doesn't care about it. All they care mm-hmm. about is presenting that insight in a format that they can act upon. So for that, you need to understand the business context. You need to uh, come up with the right insight, which answer the question, and then present it visually with a narrative. So narrative is uh, sequencing this as a plot to make sure that it is easy to relate to, and it emotionally connects with the audience. So back to your question, you can mislead with stories, but it uh, ultimately depends on the intent and uh, the responsibility lies lies with the creator. (laughs)
0: Like everything else, uh, responsible storytelling in the service of responsible analytics and AI. I love it. Well, (laughs) thank you, Ganes. I really appreciate you coming today and sharing a very frank and grounded perspective on all of the fantastical stories that are swirling around things like AI, chat, GPT, et cetera, et cetera, and helping us understand what the really foundational nuts and bolts are to ensure that we are Deploying these things in a way that's responsible, gainful, and drives value for everyone involved. Thanks again.
1: Yeah. Thanks for the interesting questions and and wonderful chat. And, And thanks again for the invite, Kimberly.
0: If you've missed any of our stellar guests or want to catch up on a new favorite, such as Ganesh, now is the time. We'll be back soon with more ponderings on the nature of AI and its implications for all areas of our lives. Subscribe now so you don't miss it.